Hello and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and I got Andy with me here today, of course. Andy? Hey guys, I'm, well, I'm never going anywhere so far. I'm going to be stuck here as long as they won't let me out of the room. You just so. keep sh- <laughs> right? they just keep shuffling me around. Keep showing up on recording day. We're moving them out. Uh, no, we're trying something a little different, a little visually different here on uh, on YouTube. If you guys are joining us on YouTube, if not, be sure to check that out. Subscribe, guys, you podcast listeners. Um, so yeah, it's a little different look here on YouTube. We're trying some new things. We're still kind of getting our wings here on YouTube. We've been a podcast for the last six years. But YouTube is, is still fairly new to us, so uh, we decided to go with a little different setup today. Last week, uh, we covered the case of Katie Coleman. Uh, you can also see the video of that on YouTube as well. One of the most insane um, Avenger stories. It, it's one of those horrible cases, but has a happy ending, kind of like kind of like today. In a way, wouldn't you say, Andy? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where it's like you always hope if someone would hurt your family member, you would get some kind of family revenge like that. It's, yeah. It's kind of one of those bittersweet stories to an extent. It, it is. It's a movie-like revenge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have to say. Um, but yeah. But this week, guys, we got another crazy... We got... Okay. First off, let me preface this by saying I said we were going to do some cult shit this week, and... I lied, okay? For lack of a better term, I lied, Andy. I, I did. You hey, know, so that happens sometimes. Sometimes I say things, and then we don't do them. Sometimes it, plans change. Sometimes plans change. And uh, today was one of those things during our research, during our uh, searching for some cult shit, and during our... We actually already have a timeline ready for this for the cult case, but we saw this headline, and we had to do it, okay? Former MMA star Joe Sun... A star is that is that a little too much? Am I, would, I saying too much? He's not a star. Not a not a bright not, one. Not a shining <laughs> a star. One. Not not a bright one. Um, before we get into it, let's give you guys a little summary. Uh, our case this week: the brutal and heinous crimes of Joseph's son, a South Korean-born mixed martial artist turned actor, who some of you might recall from one of of his uh, only notable roles, which was in the classic '90s spy comedy Austin Powers. One of my favorites back in the day. I, I love Goldmember. That's my that's my favorite Austin Powers, Andy. I do you? have a I do have a soft spot for Goldmember as I well. I love Goldmember. I, I do. You creepy Dutch bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but for nearly 20 years, uh, this actor, Joe San, harbored a dark secret. And when the details of his crimes came to light, they revealed him to be much more evil than any bald cat-petting doctors. If you catch my drift, Andy, you see what I, you see what I did there? Oh. <laughs> Anyways, guys, let's give you a quick rundown, okay, before we get into the intro. First things first. There is a warning. Uh, this episode does include extreme acts of violence, torture, and sexual assault. This is true crime after all. So let's talk about Joe. Joseph San, a Korean-born mixed martial artist, uh, despite an 04 career. More on that later. Uh, but Joe was also a professional wrestler who eventually turned actor. You know the old saying, Andy, uh, those who can't do act like they can, or, or something like that, right? You gotta just pretend. Fake it till it's, you make it, right? Fake it till you make it, that's right. Um, but before Joe San's initial arrest in 2008, he gained pop culture recognition for his role as odd job parody character Random Task in uh, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, which I believe is the first one of the series, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. International Man of Mystery is number one. It really sucks he didn't get called back, man. I, I don't... I mean, if you remember his end in the movie, he <laughs> had a pretty final uh, <laughs> final fate. <laughs> he wasn't coming back, huh? Oh, he was coming, what? I'm sure, but he wasn't well, that... coming back. <laughs> well, that's what he gets for throwing a shoe. Who does that, man? Who throws a shoe? Who throws a shoe? 
but prior to being a shoe-chucking villain, the only real exposure Joe found was in his early MMA career, albeit for all the wrong reasons. When during an early televised UFC event, he was hit with a flurry, and I mean a flurry of, at the time, perfectly legal nutshots. Okay, it reminded me. This man, he took a beating that would make Johnny Knoxville proud. I exactly. Oh, it make Di- yeah. Johnny Knoxville cringe. <laughs> It'd make Johnny Knoxville go. You, know you what sure it, you want to do that? You know what? I immediately thought about the uh, the scene in Dumb and Dumber where he's having that fantasy about kicking that waiter's ass, and he's just like drumming on his balls. He's just yes. like, he's just speed bagging his balls. You know what I'm saying? It is it such d- a. It's like a rock'em sock'em robot. Like, just flurry of punches to this man's groin. It is, <laughs> it is brutal. It is, man, if people think UFC was, is brutal now, Jesus, that's that's when men were men, but not anymore because of that rule. Yeah, now they have rules yeah, and I, stuff. I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> but that's not what makes Joe the subject of today's show. That would be an incident that took place in 2011. After being arrested on a felony vandalism charge, Joe's DNA was tested, and he received a sentence of seven years to life in prison for the violence and torture committed during a 1990 gang rape that had previously gone unsolved for 18 years. Now, unfortunately, Joe's violent tendencies persisted within prison walls, leading to another horrific, but this time deadly, incident when he mercilessly beat his cellmate, Michael Thomas Graham, resulting in Graham's death. As a consequence, Joe would receive an additional sentence of 27 years for voluntary manslaughter. Presently, Joe-san is serving a cumulative sentence of 34 years to life and finally being held accountable for his heinous crimes. So we got quite a bit to talk about, guys. This is going to be a long one, so buckle up. Andy, hit the music. Let's get into this thing. Right, you're weird. And you said that you were uh, an actor. What do you do with acting? Um, I do comedy, okay. play bad guys sometimes. Did you see Austin Powers? Uh-huh. Um, I played a little role in part one. Okay. What else have you done? You just act? Is that um, how you make your living, just acting? And... I, I'm a professional fighter. What kind of fighter? MMA. You can find me on Wikipedia, believe it or not. How did you do your fighting career? I lost all my fights. I was in UFC 4. I did a Pride um, 2002, February and July. I lost mm-hmm. both fights. I pro wrestled there for a little while. Um, it was going good, but I didn't sign the contract. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay, you know, let me tell you what the deal is here, okay? Young girl, 19 years old. Late at night, early morning, it was this evening, 24 December 1990. She's driving home to a big, big apartment complex out on Burgers. Okay. She parked in the carport. Two guys jam in the carport. They grab her, throw her in the car, drive her some distance away. That's bad. It's very bad. And the DNA tells us it's you. And wrong guy. Do you recognize anybody in that? That's you, right? That's me. Uh, and what we did showed that to the girl who's kidnapped. She goes, 100% certain it's him. I've seen that face every night I go to bed. She said, that's the face I've seen of the guy who kidnapped me, one of the guys who kidnapped me and raped me. I mean, just that alone screws you, okay? No doubt about it. 
okay, and the DNA is saying, yes, you're the guy, and you're sitting here saying, hmm, how is that going to fly, Joe? This is scary. You know, I can't tell you something I don't know. Well, why did you know? And, and you, 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 you know, you say you have this evidence, you know, mm -hmm. and it's scary. Mm -hmm. So it all started on a bitter cold Christmas Eve in 1990, around 12.30 a.m. A woman, which we will refer to as Victoria to protect her identity, was returning home to her apartment in Huntington Beach, California, accompanied by her dog, Chassie. The dog's name is also changed. That can't be the dog's name, right, Andy? Is that is that the dog's name? I mean, I don't know, maybe it's got a cute name, Chassie. Chassie? Come here, little Chassie. Come here, it Chassie. wasn't sassy, and they're like, eh, hey, just call him Chassie to protect the dog, too. Chassie. You got a Chassie mouth. I don't know Chassie. why we give every detective this southern accent. I don't know. It's, this is in California. Uh, <laughs> but, but Victoria had been out with a family member and a friend that night to take in the Christmas lights. And when she reached her apartment complex with her purse in hand and her small dog zipped up in her jacket, Victoria was approached by a short, stocky man. The man appeared to be lost and asked for directions. Capitalizing on the distraction that he made, he struck Victoria in the face, knocking her to her knees, disorienting her. Now, at the same time, another assailant approached from behind and struck her again almost immediately. Victoria managed to safely pull her dog's chassis from her jacket and toss her into a nearby bush in hopes that she would flee from the attackers. Lucky for the dog, the men had no interest in Victoria's four-legged friend or any other of her belongings for that matter. It was then that Joe's son and his accomplice began to viciously beat Victoria in the parking lot of her apartment complex with their fists and two semi-automatic pistols equipped with silencers. And unfortunately, this was only the beginning. After threatening to kill her and anyone who she might alert with her cries for help, the men then drugged Victoria into their car and sped off, leaving no one but a scared puppy as the only witness. Now, let's take a look at how Joe-san ended up here. Okay? He was born Joseph Hyung-min-san. What do you think about that pronunciation, Annie? Did I get that? Hyung-min? hyung uh, you might be. It's a Korean name. It might be I, a, win, I, a Hwingmin. I could be wrong, but I, it's they, just pronounce, Joe. they pronounce more letters than a lot of other languages. I'll give them that. They don't have a lot of silence, a lot of silent letters. Oh no, they have no. A, they're just they don't they don't care how they make them sound. Right. <laughs> but Joseph San was born on November twenty second, nineteen seventy, in the Guangzhou province of South Korea. He moved to California at an early age and quickly began making a name for himself. How hard could it be, right? It's America. In his early 20s, he became associated with an extremist Christian group, sounds about right, and worked in Huntington Beach. And despite having little to no martial arts experience, he managed to persuade the right people to allow him and a friend, Kimo Leopoldo, Leopoldo? I think that's right, Leopoldo? Yeah, I think so. To participate in the UFC, using the ancient art of deception and an impressive sales pitch. So quite so, the bullshitter, right? Quite the bullshitter, my friend. Um, but you know, th th he fooled people, right? He fooled people who allegedly knew what fighting was. I think he just came over here and some dumb, ignorant American thought, he's Asian, of course he knows Kung Fu, we're going to put him in it. Yeah, he's built like a he's yeah. built like a door. He's yeah, so he's, broad, he's right. so stocky, he looks like he could punch through a wall. Exactly, he'll do great, he'll do great. 
Um, but their promotional efforts emphasized Leopoldo's black belt in Taekwondo, while Joe San, <laughs> the real expert, was portrayed as a Joe Sando expert. Oh, what's that? You never heard of it? You're unfamiliar with it? <laughs> well, you're not alone. Mainly because he made that shit up. To be fair. That's the most convenient way to become an expert but in something. Also, but also, to be fair, I mean, he was the only expert in it, so we really don't know. I mean, maybe no one else has ever reached that level of martial arts expert, Andy. That could also be something, too. Yeah, if you just walk in and say, I'm an expert in Michael Kondo, and they're, they're, there you what go. is that? They're going to be like, well, up. he's Michael. He would know. I'm the I only mean, expert in it. I made it up. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I mean, how convenient. But, you know, this strange background alone would have made Joe Son a memorable personality. Uh, unfortunately for the self-proclaimed Joe Son Doe expert, his fighting ability was just about the same caliber as his acting skills. I'll just leave it at that. During his fighting career, he officially retired with a professional record of 0-4. While he had... I know, right? A Joe Kwondo expert didn't fare well? It's crazy. While he had previously appeared in UFC 3 in 1994 as a cornerman for Kimo Leopoldo, uh, Son made a proper debut at the UFC 4 pay-per-view event. I don't know about proper, but he definitely made a debut. Oh, he made, uh, he, he was, uh, <laughs> they, that's where he, I'm saying he got his start at least. He got his start. I don't know if that's the start you want. He went viral. Uh, for all the wrong reasons. Joe's first opponent was Keith Hackney, a Kenpo fighter who was 30 pounds lighter, but seven inches taller than Son. Now, this fight is the one we referenced at the start of the episode where Joe really became an almost viral sensation for using his scrotum as a punching bag. Uh, despite performing a takedown and attempting a guillotine choke, Hackney quickly countered with some very intense strikes directly to Joe's growing. Now, mind you, at this time in the UFC, this was perfectly legal. And it ultimately allowed Hackney to apply a blood choke, leading Son to tap out and consequently get eliminated from the tournament. God, what a rough way to go out, man. Like I said, how it do was... you how do you fight again after this? No, you can't. You just Don't have to look at it. the ref and go. Well, obviously he does. This is his first to fight. He goes 0 and 4. I'm very surprised. I, I think after this, though, he was like, I'm not letting that happen again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not letting that happen. No one's doing that to me. No. No. Um, and you'll see that in his second fight. Uh, another one of Joe's notable and downright embarrassing bouts came at extreme pancreation. Pancreation. Am I saying that right, Andy? Pan I think so. Pancreation? Pancreation? Yeah. Uh, but it's extreme pancreation, too. I, I'm unfamiliar with it, okay? I was, I was 12 at this time. I really wasn't watching a lot of UFC. This was April 12, 2002, where he was pitted against Joe Marora. I'm oh. killing these names today. Maria. Like, so. literally just destroying them, not saying any of them right. Uh, and during the first round, after a few punches... Maria landed a blow that caused Joe to bleed. Deciding then that he wasn't going to take another loss like the fight with Hackney, he forfeited the match. And the official recorded outcome was a submission due to terror. Fun fact for you, it's the only one in UFC history. That is, um, yeah, that, they just it like, is. They had to be like, no, fuck you. It's the, <laughs> it's the only one uh, due to terror. A so, man literally there you go. left because he was afraid. He's like, no, I don't want to do that again. That hurt. <laughs> They were, I didn't know they were right. actually going to hit me. Right. He may sort of he, he he maybe should have cross trained a little bit. Maybe not so much of a focus on Joe Kwondo and maybe learn some some actual techniques. I think maybe he just went into what? the fight with both hands over his dick. Oh yeah, and, and he, he just was kept just like punched in the he face. Just took like four and shots to the face. He was like, I did not prepare properly. I thought this was going to go the exact opposite. Right. Just cut this. Just stop this. 
Um, so after that, Joe would decide to leave professional fighting, well, temporarily, and try to pursue a career in Hollywood. Because, you know, nut shots and bleeding, it, it was just all too much. Uh, he's got to find a Joe Kwon Do circuit or something, right? If he wants to come back. Yeah, he wasn't making yeah. that jackass money. No, he, he was not. Um, so his first roles in Hollywood, he landed some small ones in films like Joshua Tree and Bad Blood and Shoot Fighter. You may be familiar with that, Andy. Oh, or, or Shoot Fighter 2. Is that Ooh. more your speed? No, I'm more of a, I think I'm more of a, a, a fist fighter guy. A fist fighter. <laughs> These, uh, shamelessly, I have probably seen all these movies because these are the exact movies my dad would watch all the time when I was a kid. Kickboxer, Bloodsport, you know what I mean? Like, these are the knockoff versions of those movies. That's all this is. They're, they're Jean-Claude Van Damme knockoffs. Oh, yeah, these are all the ones you just see randomly in a bin at a Dollar General somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Two for five dollars. Um, but it wasn't, but it was in 1997, okay, when Joe landed his biggest and his last film role as Random Task in Austin Powers, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, even though he had no lines in the movie, his performance was, was quite comical, but yet forgettable. Really, anybody could have played that part, Andy. Any, any guy who had a, a, a domineering presence could have played, could have thrown a shoe at Austin Powers and then got killed later. Yeah, know, like I, I said, mean, he had no lines. You just they just needed a silent Asian stocky yeah. man to just look intimidating. He killed it though. I mean, he killed that part. Um so even though the film was a blockbuster with multiple sequels, Joe's Hollywood aspirations took a real nut shot and he basically bled out after that film's release. You like that you like those analogies? I like what you is did. Is that there. pretty good? Is that on is that on par? Uh, Joe would continue to participate in MMA events and even had a stint in professional wrestling in the early 2000s. That's where he belongs, in my opinion. He should have stayed in professional wrestling. He's perfect for that. He's a showman, right? He wants to be an actor. He has a little bit of fighting experience. Um, that would have been perfect. Oh, they said there was a couple of events where he came out like a professional wrestler, carry, like dragging a giant cross behind him and just making yeah. all kinds of like entrance bouts and stuff. So yeah, he would have done a lot better in some indie wrestling ring. I think so. I th even professional wrestling. I I'd watch him. You can get him a partner. They start, you know, be the next Dudley Brothers or something like that. I can see that crap. <laughs> Um, but sadly, he never managed to find success in any of his career choices, and eventually, Joe would become nothing more than a sad footnote in the history of UFC, um, which would have still been better than the legacy he has now, Andy, honestly. Yeah, he still it, did it, UFC. Yeah, if he would have just left uh, that and not done horrible things. Uh, speaking of that legacy, it's time to get into the details of what happened that fateful Christmas Eve in 1990. Now again, brace yourselves, folks. Uh, I know we've had some fun in this one, but... This is a gruesome as crime as, as they come, really. So, the men, Joe Son and his accomplice, who we will get to later, they threw, uh, they threw her into the car and sped off with Victoria, barely conscious. Uh, she remembers vividly the things that the men were saying and how scared she truly was to be in this situation. I mean, this is not something you're going to forget. While driving, the men told Victoria that they were taking her to the cliffs and that they were going to kill her. Joe even going as far as to say, quote, I needed a beach girl for my Christmas present to myself because I'm going to throw you down. I'm going to make sure the cops see you, end quote. The men pistol whipped her and beat her and told her multiple times that she was going to die tonight. They eventually pulled the car over and forced Victoria out into the cold. It was then that Joe proceeded to rape and sodomize Victoria for the first of multiple times that night. Now, during this time, Victoria remembers that she still has her wallet with her. Inside Victoria's wallet, she had a photograph of her friend's new baby. She pulled the photo and began to plead with her attackers. Quote, 
I remembered saying that I had a kid, I had a baby, and you're going to let me out so I can go and see my son. And he says, quote, bitch, you think I'm going to let you go after you've identified me? And I said, you poked my eyeballs out with contacts in them. I can't see shit right now. And then it got real quiet. And I just thought, did they buy that? Did they buy that? That's a real survival instinct right there. She just happened to have a picture of her friend's baby in her wallet. Yeah. Like, it just got mailed to her recently. That's the only reason she had it in there. Oh, my God. You can still make that plea, though. It's still worth it. Mm -hmm. I mean, God. However, the relentless assault continued as the men forced her back into the car. The duo took turns tormenting her, and just when it seemed that the situation couldn't get any worse, Josan showed another level of his depravity. Using one of the pistols that he made sure to show Victoria was loaded, he began violating her with the barrel of the gun. And from what Victoria recounts, it was simply because, quote, he thought it would be really cool to rape somebody with a gun, end quote. Yeah, this guy is messed up. Yeah, God, this guy's messed up. Way more evil than you would expect him to be. Seriously. Yeah, so much, he's so silent all the time. No one ever expected him to say things. Only his first real movie appearance. Yeah. I think, oh my God, that man was a monster behind those shark eyes. An absolute monster, man. Uh, not long after this, though, Joe grabs Victoria by the hair and he threw her out of the car, naked and into the cold, while forcing her to crawl on her hands and knees with a gun to the back of her head. Joe barks at her to keep her head down and to keep crawling before in a moment of pure guilt or maybe actual humanity, the accomplice tosses a piece of Victoria's clothing at her, claiming that she was freezing. Joe then proceeded to tie the clothing, which turned out to be her pants, around her head as a blindfold. Holding the barrel to her scalp, he bends down to her ear and whispers something that has haunted Victoria to this very day. Quote, One, two, by the way, bitch, Mary F. and Christmas, run. End quote. At that moment, Victoria was free, scrambling to her feet and running for her life, removing the pants that were tied around her eyes, and she was able to make her way to a nearby home and take refuge with the homeowners until the police arrived. Knowing she needed to get to the hospital as soon as possible, the officers urged Victoria to allow them to call an ambulance or to drive her themselves. But Victoria, even after the intense trauma she had just endured, she remembered one thing that she'd left behind at the crime scene. Victoria was driven back to her apartment where she began to call out for her lost puppy, Chassis. Suddenly, they heard a high-pitched yip ring out as the puppy ran to her owner. After the darkest and most devastating night of her life, Victoria was overcome with emotion over the safe return of her beloved Chassis. After being taken to the hospital and treated, Victoria was visited by Detective Don Howe of the Huntington Beach Police Department. Don sat with Victoria and listened to every horrible detail. Detective Howe was able to get a decent sketch of the assailants drawn up and send it around to anyone in the department who might have a lead on the suspects. Victoria recalled to him that the men kept talking about a gang in the area known as the Sons of Samoa and even went as far as to carve the initials of the group into her backside. Now thinking these were probably two young gang members with violent tendencies, he was confident that they would be caught soon. He passed the information to officers familiar with the Sons of Samoa, and the investigators would work this angle for almost a year. Unfortunately, the detectives came to the conclusion that this must have just been a false lead, a red herring, if you will, done on purpose by the attackers. Luckily, the description and drawings of the men was not the only evidence that Victoria was able to provide for the investigators. Even though this was 1990, 
and DNA technology was still new, the detectives were able to recover multiple DNA samples from both Victoria and the clothing. The detectives were able to recover multiple DNA samples from both Victoria and the clothing she was returned with the night she was abducted. Those samples of DNA, however, would be the one shred of hope that Victoria and detectives would have to hold on to for nearly 20 years. That's right. After 18 long years filled with medical care, therapy, and having to rebuild her entire life from scratch, Victoria finally receives the phone call that she had been waiting for. It was Detective Don Howe, the same detective that sat beside Victoria the night of her attack and listened to her have to relive the worst experience of her life, was there again to give her some of the best news she's ever heard. We got him. We got a DNA hit. I mean, the relief that must have come over her knowing that he's not there anymore. I can't imagine just the idea of like having to, once a case goes cold and if you're a victim and you're a survivor of a case, once it goes cold, just that notion of being like any day it could be solved or it never could. Like you have to just right. start coming to terms with that, like that reality of like, it may never just get solved. I may just have to look over my shoulder for the rest of my life. Exactly. And just 20 years later, basically out of the call, just ring, ring. Victoria, yes. Like, that's just so wild. You could not be, because you, you, you would never expect it anymore. Right, you would 18 stop years it. later. Yeah, you would stop expecting it one day. So yeah. when it did happen, it must just be shattering. Yeah, and what's crazy is later on, uh, once she finds out who it is, who Joson is, she realizes that she has the Austin Powers movie on her shelf in her house, and she's like, she's somewhat disgusted by that. Yeah. She's like, I, 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 in a way, supported this man who did the, the worst thing that's ever happened to me. You know, his, his art, his presence is in my house. He's been, yeah, you know, he's been in my living room the entire time. Exactly. I could have put that movie even in. Even that, because of how gruesome this crime was, even that felt like a violation to her. Yeah, like I could have put this movie in at any time, and if I would have looked at that screen long enough, I would have seen him. Possibly. Like yeah. that's, that's the yeah. feeling you have to realize be like, I, it was right there the whole time. I yep. looked at that and he was right there. That also goes to show how forgettable a character he is though. Right. She saw yeah. him over and over again. She owned the, she owned the movie. Right. And still didn't notice him, but. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Tell me this creepers. Do you like me lie in bed at night, begging for that sweet relief of sleep to take you? only to be kept awake by the out-of-control freight train that is every mistake you've ever made since birth. Oh yeah, creeps. That's a normal run-of-the-mill night for Andy here. Oh what, you thought this dark humor and wit came from talent? Oh no, baby. That's 100% homegrown trauma right there. And if you've got some trauma in your life as well, I want to let you know there's help available, even for you. I can speak for myself when I tell you that talking to someone about those traumatic things in your past, the ones that keep you up at night, it genuinely does help. Nothing gets any better by keeping all that stuff inside. So maybe it's time to open up a little bit, you know? If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com and use slash creeper today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash creeper. So give them a call and start your journey to a better life today. But uh, speaking of Joe's son, let's, let's talk about the capture and his initial arrest that put the cops onto him for this crime. 
That happened on May 16, 2008. Joe-san, he faced his initial arrest for violently kicking in a roommate's car door. Whatever that means. I don't know. I guess he just dented the car door. How do you kick in a car door, I mean, man? he's pretty short. Right? Roundhouse kicking the window or something? Dude, you kick the shit out of a car door to kick it in? That's what I'm saying. It's got to be the what? window or just, I mean, guess denting it in. But if yeah. not that, just kicking the glass out. Either way, it resulted in a felony charge of vandalism. And Joe-san was sentenced to probation with a term of 60 days imprisonment. However... His failure to comply with the terms of his probation and report his current residence led him to being detained on August 18, 2008, where he received an additional 90 days of jail time. Now, one of the stipulations of Joe-san's initial plea agreement mandated him to provide a DNA sample. Y'all see where this is going. In the early days of October 2008, the provided DNA sample established a direct connection to the horrific attack that occurred on Christmas Eve 1990. So he was already incarcerated due to his probation violation and was detained at the Theo Lacey facility on October 7, 2008, following his arrest. Now, during questioning about the attack, Joe repeatedly denied any involvement in the incident and even called the crime nasty. Can you believe that, Andy? Nasty? I could, yeah, just not looking at the detectives like, like oh, oh, that's, 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 that's nasty. That's yeah, nasty. That's I, nasty. I, I would do that. I, who would do such a, that's nasty. I wouldn't right? do that. <laughs> But, you know, despite all his denial, there was still that gosh darn DNA. You know, Andy, that DNA, man, when it, it puts you there, it's kind of hard to disappear. I feel like, you know a, what I mean? I still feel like in 2008, Joe's son was still just like, D and who? I don't, no, I don't. No, <laughs> hey, I'm man, in You should have been watching CSI. That's I'm your in, own fault, 2008. I'm in MMA. I, I don't do the, the D and <laughs> right. MMA, not MMA. the DNA. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But in October of 2008, he was charged with multiple counts of rape and kidnapping. And then the case was handed off to another DA, brand new to the sexual assault unit. Joe continued to give investigators nothing in regards to the attack or any information on who his accomplice was that fateful night. They already had Joe dead to rights, but they needed that second man all the same. Then they caught another lucky break. When detectives received an anonymous email from a man claiming to have known Joe back around this time, and he also thought that he recognized the other man in the sketches now that he knew that Joe was involved. Yes, when you see the two blank sketches, you could you you might not know, but as soon as you right. know who one of them is, and then, you're like, that's got to be... Exactly, and then you, you're thinking about the time period. You're like, mm -hmm. who was Joe hanging out with then? You know, what was he doing? But this... This anonymous person pointed the finger at a seemingly normal, everyday family man named Santiago Catan, a friend of Joson's who had a, a short but existent criminal record. Uh, Santiago had moved out of state in recent years and had tried to start a new life for himself. He was married with two children and, honestly, someone the police would have never suspected otherwise. That was until the investigators used good old-fashioned police work to obtain a sample of Santiago's DNA from a discarded bottle of Sunkist from the trash outside his home. And wouldn't you know it, it's a gosh darn match, Andy. It's a gosh darn match. You know, Fanta wouldn't have ratted him out like this. <laughs> I think if he would have had a Fanta, he'd be so sure. Whatever's in Fanta, it would have, so sure. it. Oh, Fanta, it would have, it would have that Fanta. DNA so bad. <laughs> It did make me at think least it wasn't of, a cigarette. It did make me think of uh, Long Island serial killer now, Rex Hewerman. It was kind yes. of the same way of following him to his home he, and getting a piece of discarded a piece of trash. Pizza. Yeah, his was yeah. A, a pizza piece or a pizza crust, but yeah, yep. the same thing. Watching him finish the bottle and throw it in the trash and just like scampering over yep. immediately. Like they yeah. grab it, man. They're like watching some, him like some just really like OCD raccoons. They just yeah. scamper, scamper <laughs> over like fresh and just run away. 
Yep, and because of this police work, Santiago was charged alongside Joe and the trials were set to begin. It was at this point, however, the prosecution horrifically discovered that the statute of limitations on the rape and kidnapping charges had expired. They That's a had, weird thing for those those kind of charges. You feel like those should not expire. No, like, they if, should not. Because it's like, what they if you kidnap not. somebody as a child and they don't get found until they're an adult? Yeah, it's I like, can't think of one reason that this should expire. I would I would love to know the argument that yeah. was that was like, oh, let's put the limit on ten years. What put the limit on twenty years? Why? Why put a limit on this? Yeah, uh, like I said, especially for kidnapping. If you yeah. kidnap a minor and then they don't get if they found them later when they're an adult, it's like, oh well, the, you they're an adult now. They could have left, so no more kidnapping and times run out. So, Pretty much. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense how these would these two crimes would run out. Not at all. Not at all. In under twenty years. Right. But regardless, they had to pivot their argument to then get Joe and Santiago booked on torture because that shit never expires. And they couldn't throw the book on them, but they they were able to definitely put them away for a while. Santiago would quickly plead guilty to the charges and confessed everything that he had done to Victoria, and he was given 17 years in prison. Joe, however, refused the guilty plea and forced the case to go to trial. Joe was just not giving in. He really wasn't. He was staying true to that just silent type, that, that strong silent type. He was like, no. Mm-mm, that's nasty. That's nasty. <laughs> I didn't do that. It's nasty. But during the trial, Victoria took the stand to lay out every evil detail. And when she was done, there wasn't a dry eye in the courtroom. And while Joe did have a few outbursts during the trial and testimony, he didn't take the stand or testify on his own behalf. And so on September 9th, 2011, after a brief deliberation, the jury would find Joe Son guilty of the torture charges and the judge would sentence him to seven years to life behind bars. What a crazy sentence. Meaning that one day, Joe could once again walk the streets as a free man. That is a very big gap. Like three, you know, one seven to three, to three to life. five, five to seven, seven to life. Like that's a... Seven to life, man. It's like if life is in there at all, the minimum should be 20. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like if life is a consideration, you should go 20. Yeah, if, if life is an option, seven years is not a minimum. It's not an option. It's not <laughs> enough. <laughs> no. But luckily for us, Andy, the story is not finished, okay? Because just one month after Joe's incarceration began, the guards at the Wasco State Prison responded to a medical call on October 10th of a prisoner who had been attacked in his cell. When they arrived at the cell block in question, they were met with Joe Son calmly standing by the door of the cell with the body of his cellmate, Michael Graham, who was unresponsive on the bottom bunk. Joe apparently calmly told the guards, quote, I told you I needed to get out of here, before proceeding to walk past them and start washing his hands, most likely cleaning the blood from them, as it was discovered that Graham died from multiple blunt force trauma injuries as a result of the former mixed martial artist vicious attacks on him. He finally won a fight, Andy. Like I said, it only took him, you know, like four losses and then two criminal, like two yeah. trial losses. I'm, I'm going to get a win. Then he decided to beat this guy in his sleep. I'm going to get a win. Yeah, he took his whole UFC career out on this guy. Yeah, I believe so. He yeah. took a lot of a... And granted, you know, Graham was, uh, a, Graham was a convicted sex offender who was in there for not registering and failing to register. Mm-hmm. But either way, it was like Joe used that as like an excuse. Like he yeah. used that as like, oh, well, this person's worse than I am. Obviously, I'm going to... He, he uh, no, it. he's exactly like you are, actually. Yeah. Right? But, Pretty much. But he's not admitting to it. So I see what you're saying. That was like him making a statement. Yeah. Um, but Graham was pronounced dead in the prison's medical ward not 30 minutes after the initial call came in. 
leading to yet another criminal trial for the once Hollywood D-list celebrity, but for this time, murder. During Joe's second trial, which would take place during the following years, his violent past and previous conviction weighed heavily in the courtroom and on the jury's decision. Joe would even take the stand this time and in a stunning turn of events, actually admitted to the rape of Victoria in 1990, you know, because statute of limitations, but yet again still denied the claims of torture because no statute of limitations. I feel like that was just, that's just like such an Duh. old thing. They're just being like, yeah, that we can't put that. Like, nope. Got to keep that in there. That's medieval. We got to keep that in there. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. If they torture. We got to put them away. But after a lengthy trial, in July of 2017, Joe Son was sentenced again to prison for the second time. And although the prosecution wasn't able to get him on a murder charge, they were able to bump it down to manslaughter, which is still very much punishable with heavy jail time. Now, due to the nature of his crimes, both past and present, the judge sentenced Joe to the maximum of 27 years, on top of his already seven years to life for the crimes committed against Victoria back in 1990. And that is where Joe Son still remains today, and he'll be eligible for parole in 2044, not accounting for any other incidents he may have in the future behind bars. But that is the story of Joe Son, guys. The, uh, the horrific, gruesome, and ultimately sad tale. Uh, the man who went from a laughingstock of USC world all the way to the laughingstock of the whole world, Andy. Exactly. Like, what? I mean, he would have <laughs> never. He would have never been that famous if he had just gone down as an O and four fighter. Yeah, he may have gotten noticed for the right. only submission via terror. Yeah, he and have, also the the crotch punch flurries. Yeah, that that's, that's a pretty, great clip. That's just it's a really flur like a real short, great little TikTok type clip of just yeah. a flurry of shots that just makes oh, it, it's 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 almost the perfect reaction to like the Joe Rogan gif of like the oh. Like oh, yeah. Like, like, I feel like that's what Joe Rogan was reacting to at UFC. Just the, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He has referenced this on his podcast a few times. I actually saw some clips uh, while I was researching this. But, um, but yeah, guys, I know it wasn't what you were expecting. Again, like I said, this case this week, I apologize. We were going to do uh, some cold shit, but things change, you know, that's how it goes. But rest assured, there will be some cult shit happening this month, probably on Patreon, because that's where all the cool kids are. Speaking of cool kid things, nothing's cooler than smelling good. And we got you covered here at True Crime Guys with Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia has been a sponsor almost since we started True Crime Guys podcast. They're an innovative all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. Guys, there's tons of scents to choose from in Oh My Gaia like vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber, pear, sweet pea, sailor, barbershop, and of course, true crime pine. That's where, that's where you should start, honestly. If you've never ordered from Oh My Gaia ever, order you a jar of true crime pine. It's got the old school first OG TCG logo on it as a sticker still. Very cool. It's a great unisex scent, and it goes great for the fall because pines are evergreen. Come on, people. And because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off your order at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. All right, guys. Like I said, that's it for this week. If you guys want to hear more episodes, you can always check out patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. It is an excellent way to support True Crime Guys productions and what we do here. Maybe the main way. 
Uh, we appreciate that very much, guys. And any of you who are already patrons, if you have a case suggestion, please message us on Patreon or comment on a recent post. Speaking of uh, Patreon, we are uploading some more Vault episodes this week, you guys. If you are a patron already, you may have been getting some of those notifications. Just letting you know that these episodes are going into the Vault. So slowly throughout this winter, throughout this fall and winter, we'll be putting episodes 51 through 100 in the TCG Vault. Okay, guys, so episodes 1 through 50, the early years are already there, or the early year, I guess. That's, a, that's about a year's worth of episodes. So about the first two years of the podcast are going to be in the vault by the end of this year. So just something to consider. If you guys want to check those out, you can listen to them for just two bucks a month, or there's a seven-day free trial. All right. Uh, also, check us out on social media, at True Crime Guys, pretty much everywhere. Give us a follow on TikTok. And of course, if you're listening on YouTube and watching, please subscribe and hit that notifications button and help us grow. We appreciate it very much. Anything else, Andy? Am I forgetting anything? I don't think so, guys. Like I said, share, like, subscribe. Yeah, Tell your friends idea. about it. Uh, keep an eye out again for Sandu's stories. Those will be coming back on the yes. Patreon very soon. Uh, anything else? I think we're going to have some new stickers coming out soon. We're going to try and get more merch coming to you guys, more merch options available. But things like that, guys. We're trying to make this as much as professional as possible so that you guys can see that we are putting in the work to give you the best product possible. Love it. Love it. What a pitch. What a pitch. That is the art of the sales pitch right there. Let's end on that, Andy. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Uh, until then, I guess you just have to keep on creeping, right, Andy? I think so, man. All right. See you guys. Bye. All right. Within the first few months of his sentence, Joe would win his first fight when he merciless... Mer <laughs> Is that a bad joke? Is, <laughs> Is that a bad joke? We finally win a fight. A, uh, okay. Um... <clears throat>